0: Bibles. Go ahead and open them to Matthew chapter 2. Last week we kicked off in Matthew 1, so we're going to kind of finish up this passage and really the Christmas story here. As we enter into this story, let me kind of uh, let you know the timeline right now. In Matthew 1, Jesus is born. He's a little baby. In Matthew 2, Jesus, uh, most scholars believe he's about two years old. We see this later in the passage, and it talks about uh, Herod went and he killed uh, the babies or the children there who are two years old or younger, so that kind of lets us know Jesus was anywhere from seven months to about two years old so that, that lets you know we 're not dealing with little uh, poopy baby jesus we 're working with uh, trying to potty train baby jesus so two year old potty trained baby Jesus all right there we go so that kind of gives you the heads up of where we are with that so as we go into this passage there's a couple things that I really want us to understand and to hit home as we come into this message today and really it is this is that God reveals himself to us in two ways the uh, most theologians will say that God reveals Himself to us in natural revelation. Uh, John Michael, if you have that verse in Romans, there it's towards the end. If you could just pop that up, um, and so I want to read this with you. Romans one twenty. It says this: For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. So God uses natural Natural Revelation, that is his creation, the things that he has put into order, the things when we look outside and it points our hearts to to, to be persuaded into knowing that he is God. So we know that there is a God out there. And so when we look at that, that is what we see. But God also reveals himself in special revelation. And so today what I want us to focus in more is on that. We'll see both, but special revelation is where God may reveal himself to you in a dream. It's something that is very personal. We see that in the scripture. When God revealed himself to Joseph, he spoke to him through a dream. We we see uh, that God spoke to Mary through an angel. So that is that special revelation where God reveals himself to us in a very special, a very personal, personal way and I guarantee that there are people here today in this place where God has revealed himself to you in both of those ways you know natural revelation that, that, that's all of us you know, And that is where we come in, and I hope we'll understand really God's heartbeat when it comes to missions and understanding that we play a role in really the understanding of natural revelation. You know, we look outside, we see that there's stars, but we need someone to help translate that for us. We look outside, we see that there are mountains, we see that there has got to be a God who has created these things, but what they need is something to teach them about the Creator, to teach them about God. God, that is where God gave us his word, that is where God gave us the ability to communicate, and that is where the responsibility is up to us. So That is kind of a side note as we go in here, but when we look at today's passage, what we see are there two things that really God just, uh, he reveals himself to us in, in two ways here. And the first one that we see is the prophecy, is that God reveals himself to us in prophecy, we look in this passage in verse 8, it says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, we are reading this in Matthew 2, verse 6, but this is actually derived from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And so this was an Old Testament prophecy fulfilled through the birth of Christ. Now there are many prophecies throughout the Bible that have been fulfilled, and of the ones regarding the birth of the Messiah, all of them have been answered. We see that through this passage, as we look through the Gospels, and, it is, and Christ is revealed, we see where the writers alluded to the prophecies, and we see that those prophecies are fulfilled. Peter Stoner in Science Speaks used this illustration uh, regarding the probability of these prophecies coming true. He said that for eight of the prophecies regarding the birth of Christ to come true, he said it would be a one in 100,000 trillion chance of them coming true true that's a mind-boggling number for those of you math people that'd be 10 to the 17th power or 10 with 17 zeros behind them he goes on to say it'd be like this it'd be like we got a bunch of silver dollars and we placed them all throughout the state of texas now to put 100,000 trillion silver dollars across the state of texas it would pile up two feet high across the whole state now let me put that into uh, comprehension for you The state of Texas, from Beaumont, Texas, to El Paso, Texas, is 826 miles long. To get from Village Church to Little Rock, Arkansas, is 748 miles long. So that lets you know how big the state of Texas actually is. So we stack the silver dollars around the state of Texas, filling up the whole state of Texas, two feet high. We then blindfold someone. So we blindfold Carson. Okay, so we blindfold Carson, and we say, Carson, on the, uh, out there in the silver dollars, I have marked one with an X on it. And so you can take as long as you want, and you can walk across the whole state, you're blindfolded, but when you pick up that one silver dollar that you choose to pick up, it has to be the one that is marked. That's the probability of eight, just eight of these prophecies coming true. And we look in the Scripture and we see that they have. So God reveals himself through his word to point us towards him. We see that in the passage. We see that within the the Christmas story. And so we see the probabilities there, and that should push us towards Christ. But we also see the supernatural, but also the natural way that God points us to him, and that is the star. Let's read this passage. So what we see is that God revealed himself through this star to these men in the east and so now it is pointing them to come and want to find out who is being born. And so what we see here in this passage is it reveals that star to be His star. Now, I like that because it teaches us the truth about this star that we need to understand. Now, I do believe that it initially that God aligned everything to where they looked into the west and they saw this star appear. But as they took off on their journey, what we see is that this star did not stand still. And last time I checked, when I looked up into the sky, if I saw a star move, it was going really fast and then it disappears. When we look at this passage, what we see is that this star directs them to the manger. Now when we go look into the book of Matthew, we've got to understand this, is that this book was written to the Jews. Now if the Jews read the book of Matthew, they would immediately recognize that it references another book in the Bible, which is the book of Exodus. One of the greatest leaders in all of Israel is Moses. To this day, he is a revered leader in Israel. Very well respected. The reason why is because they were enslaved and Moses was the one who led them out of slavery. And so they look at him. What Matthew wants us to see when we read this book is this, is that Jesus is the greater Moses. He is the greater, more perfect Moses. He is the one that we are to look towards and no longer do we look towards the leader Moses. Moses. Now when the Israelites were being, uh, when they were, they were leaving Egypt, there's something that we need to see that's a parallel to this star, is that God led them out in a supernatural way. What did he do? He was a pillar of fire. He was a cloud during the day. They followed that pillar of fire. They followed that cloud and that led them To the promised land. A star arose and it led these magi from the east to the promise, who is Christ. So, when we look at this star, what we need to realize is that the star leads us to the promise, and that promise is Christ. That promise was set a long time ago. In Genesis twenty-two, eighteen. 18, God talked to Abraham and he said, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So the promise was to, to uh, bless the nation of Israel and that promise is fulfilled. We see in 2 Corinthians 1, 20, it says this, Paul wrote, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled. And who? In Christ. With a resounding yes, and through Christ are amen, which means yes. That's kind of a cool side note. So anytime you say amen, you're just agreeing with what's going on. So you're pretty much just saying yes. Okay, so he ascends to God for his glory. So we look and we see that Christ is the fulfillment of the promises. God led the Israelites out of slavery into the promised land. God also leads the nations To the Messiah, to himself, which is the promise. And he did so through this star. And what it does is it sets the tone for this passage because what you need to see in this passage is God's heart. See, this reveals what God wants. God's heart is for the nations. God's heart is not just for America. In fact, that's one thing that we've got to go ahead and just toss aside because we think that little old baby Jesus was this little white Anglo-Saxon baby with nice blonde hair. That was not Jesus. In fact, the Bible says that there was nothing about him that was really good to look at. So Jesus really was not that that handsome of a guy. In fact, if he came to church here, you would probably walk right past him. You wouldn't even know him. I mean, he was just kind of that type of guy. So he probably was not, you know, the, uh, the kid that you wanted to be in the Welch's grape juice commercial. And so what we realize is God's heartbeat for the nation's. And how God revealed himself to every nation, to every tribe, bringing them to see him. So we see that the signs point towards him. What are they pointing towards? What does God want from us when he is leading us to him? It's simply this. He's pointing us to have faith in the Messiah. He's pointing us to where he is revealed and so that we truly Know him. So we read in verse uh, 3, and we pick up in 4, it says, And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So what we see here is that Herod, he gathered the chief priests and scribes together. So the wise men have made their way to Jerusalem. They have seen this star. Who do they go to? Well, they go to Herod. And this is where we see the first person to believe. We see that Herod did believe in the Messiah, but not in the way that God intended. What's the passage say in verse 4? It says that he got the chief priests and scribes together. Now this is very important for us to understand because the chief priests, And the scribes should have had a knowledge of the Bible to where when they heard these things happening, they should have been the first to have known where Jesus was to be born. Because here's the thing, I believe that they did know, but they also chose not to know. The chief priest knew the scripture, but when it came time for the Messiah to be revealed, they turned their back on what they knew. I think that's a lot like our culture. See, here's the thing you can know the Bible and completely miss Jesus. Think about that. You can know that book inside and out and completely miss Jesus. I've had friends who have read the Bible and they sit and they will try to confront me and say, I don't believe in your God. They have read the Bible front and back and they have missed the point and the point is Jesus. We can come here on Sundays, we can sit in these seats, we can do a Bible study and we can completely miss Jesus. The chief priest in Herod missed Jesus. Why? Because they chose not to know. Several months ago, I was going to Chick-fil-A downtown. If this person's here, come up and talk to me afterwards because I want to meet you. And I was going to use the restroom, so I was occupied, not really paying attention to anything going on. And so I jump out of the car, run in, and all of a sudden, as I'm walking past this person, they stop and they go, Matthew! And I just turn around and look up, hey! Hey, how are you? I had no idea who this person was, by the way. And so they go on to talk to me and start saying, how's your marriage? It's great. And I'm thinking, who are you? And so they go on and ask me, you know, it's been about a year, hasn't it? I was like, how do you know it's a year? Were you at the wedding? You know, I'm sitting there thinking all this stuff in my head and trying to talk to them and everything. And I walk away. It's like for the rest of that day, I'm like bothered by it. So I'm going on Facebook. I'm trying to figure out who is this person that I'm obviously supposed to know. And so I'm trying to figure it out, trying to figure it out. I've not figured it out. So that's why if you are here, please just let me know. I'm sorry, I apologize ahead of time because I am supposed to know you, but obviously did not know you. That's how we are with Christ oftentimes. That's how the chief priests were with Christ is that they were supposed to know him. He revealed himself to him. And when he was there, They did not recognize Him. They chose not to recognize Him. And I think that my my fear for the church and my fear for a lot of us is that is how we are, is that we have chosen not to recognize Christ. When He reveals Himself to us week in and week out, we have chosen and made up our mind not to recognize Christ. And this is what Herod did. He he had these people assembled around and that they just chose not to recognize Christ. They knew, but they chose not to know. Herod knew, and he wanted to get rid of Christ. And the truth of the matter is when we act that way towards Jesus, when we look at the Scripture, when we see what the Scripture is clearly saying, and we just choose to disobey the Scripture, what we are doing is we are acting no differently than Herod. How did Herod act? Let's fast forward over to verse 16. It says, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under. Herod killed innocent children to try to wipe away the Messiah. Praise God he failed. But we are no different than Herod. When we make a conscious choice to disobey our God, when we look into the scripture and we see what it says and we choose to walk away from what God teaches, it is as if we are killing those innocent children in the face of God. We are no different than a murderer. We are no different than an adulterer. We are no different than all of those things because our sin separates us from God. And what we see is that we must fall before a king of kings and give our life to him. So we see who Herod was. Herod was crazy. He was absolutely nuts. It got worse as he got older. In fact, uh, Caesar Augustus said that it was better to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son. Herod killed his father-in-law. He killed a couple of his ten wives. I mean, there's his problem right there. And so he also killed a couple of his own kids because he was afraid they were a threat to his throne. Herod's treasure was built up within. And eventually we see that Herod's treasure was destroyed. The Jewish historian Flavius Josephus reported this about Herod, said that Herod the Great died of a painful and debilitating disease that caused breathing problems, convulsions, rotting of his body and worms. The Bible says that we are to store up our treasures in heaven where thieves don't break in and steal, where moth does not create rust and destroy. Herod's treasure was himself. Herod was destroyed. But there's another group of people, and these people were the magi. These people set the example of what it means to have faith in the Messiah. And we see that these people came from the East. In fact, we really don't know their nationality some would speculate that they could potentially be Jewish. The reason why we speculate that is because we look in the book of Daniel when the Babylonians held the Israelites captive in their own nation and so uh, we see that it very well could have been some Israelites in there. We also would speculate that it would be Babylonians. So we know that they are people regardless from the east. So they were not within the uh, territory of Israel. They came outside of Israel. And So what we see here is that God opened up the door for the nations to enter in how did the wise men know about this well look in daniel chapter 2 verse 8 when daniel was placed into a position it says they gave him many valuable gifts he made daniel ruler over the whole province of babylon as well as chief over all wise men so Daniel was over the Magi. He was over the wise men. And so he would have shared with them about the coming Messiah. So that is why when the star originally arose, they knew what to be looking for. So what could they have done? They could have ignored it. Or they could have followed it. Again, no different than Herod. But they chose to be obedient and they followed the star. We see that God opened the door for the nations. God opened the door for all people. And this is something that has really hit home to my heart this year. As I turn on the TV and I see just the racial tension going on in our country, my heart is broken. Because that does not reflect my God. That does not reflect my Lord, because when I look at the Scripture, I see that even at the birth of my Messiah, even at the birth of my Savior, God provided a way for all people to come and to know Him. And when we look at the church, our church should have black, yellow, green, red, all kinds of people, because it says in the Scripture that one day every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that all nations and all tribes will be represented in heaven. And so we must be obedient to fulfilling that great commission here in this place, loving all people, proclaiming God's truth to all people, and to opening the gospel to all the nations. And if you don't, and you are not following the heartbeat of God. Because God's heart is for all people. God's heart is for all nations. And if you have a prejudice against that, then you don't have the heart of Christ. And so these magi, they came. And they went to this little town of Bethlehem. And it says in verse 10, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and listened to what they did. They fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense, They offered this little child, this two-year-old little boy, gifts. And this is important for us to understand because no matter what these wise men, these wealthy men who obviously were of, of great worth, no matter what they could present the Savior... It will never be good enough. Instead, they presented the gifts to the child. Did the child use these gifts? No. Many scholars believe that when Mary and Joseph and Jesus fled from Bethlehem into Egypt, that they used the gifts to be able to pay for their trip to, to Egypt. So who used the gifts? Jesus didn't even use the gifts. Mary and Joseph used the gifts. Here's the thing. We cannot give anything to Jesus that he doesn't already have. We can never give anything to God that he does not already have. You know, as I was, when I was a kid, it was fun oh, on Christmas Day opening gifts And my favorite thing, and this one always made me laugh, was when my mom gave a gift to my dad. And so my mom would, she'd go out and she'd buy something. Then she'd see something else and she'd want to buy that. And so we'd come and she'd open and she'd give my dad all these gifts. My dad's opening these gifts, and I know what's going on in his mind. He's thinking, "Oh my gosh, I paid for all of these." You know, so he's sitting there thinking, and many of you probably experienced that. He's thinking, "Well, you know what? This is not really a gift because I just paid for all this stuff that's been given to me." That's how it is when we try to do good things for God. There is nothing that we can give Him that He does not already have. There is nothing that we can give Him that He has not already owned. It is already His. He is the one who has given us everything. So what do we come and give before Christ? How do we present ourselves before the Messiah? It's with faith. Scripture says it is by grace you have been saved by faith. It is not a gift of God. It's not anything we can do on our own. It is by faith. Well, what does that look like? The signs point towards the Messiah. The prophecies point towards the Messiah. But we have to come to a point where we are either going to accept Him as Lord or reject Him and worship ourselves. The story of Christmas is this. It's worship. Who do I worship? who have I given my life for? Whom have I devoted myself towards? Because I believe today in this place that there are some here who are living like Herod, and it's killing you. It's absolutely killing you. It is eating you out from the inside. And you need to find yourself before that manger. Giving your life to Christ. See, this is where the manger and the cross go hand in hand. Because we can't have one without the other. And when we find ourselves at that moment, there is a call to worship or a call to walk away. And my hope for you this Christmas season And my hope for you as we end this year is that you find yourself before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, giving Him your worship.